or felt that, um, I, I just want you to not focus on me right now. Can we just focus on God, right? You know, amen. And it is so good to see everyone today. And if this is your first time joining us today, my name is Edgar. Um, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And it's so glad to see everyone here. Uh, we had, uh, well, we spring forward, right? Then we spring forward. So that means we lost an hour. Well, thank God that you're here. <laughs> amen. And, and by the way, if, you know, if you didn't get some Red Bull while you were uh, coming in, man, isn't that a blessing? How many churches do that? They just be a blessing to you when you're tired. <laughs> so anyway, it's so good to be here, and I'm just excited. I'm fired up. I am just full. And uh, just can we give it up for our praise team as well, just ushering in the presence of God. Wow. They're so amazing. So... The thing I want to talk about today, by the way, we're going to be in Luke, the Gospel of Luke 7, 36. So you can go ahead and just swipe, turn your Bible, put a page in it, whatever you want to do. But we're, 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 we've been uh, in this series, not very long, but Pastor Ben laid a great foundation where we're starting a series entitled Meals with Jesus. And so what is that all about? Well, we're going to spend the next several weeks where Jesus has these encounters with different people, with different uh, backgrounds, and, and they're going to be in different settings as well. And so last week, we started talking uh, and, and examining how Jesus interacted with a tax collector by the name of Matthew. And today, we're going to examine and look at um, how Jesus is interacting with two people this week. One is by the name of Simon, okay? We're not talking about the, the disciples. Two, two of them are named Simon, by the way. But we're actually talking about the, uh, the Pharisees, Simon, and this uninvited guest, this woman that's uninvited. How many people have ever had, you know, maybe a barbecue? You may have had a dinner, and you hosted it, and all of a sudden you have some uninvited guests show up, <laughs> Right? I don't know, but it, for Simmons, in a Simmons household, it's a little different. You know, at least once a year, we encounter this event. And, and, and I say that because somehow, some way or another, my wife's cooking, the word, the good cooking of my wife, Lakeisha is here, by the way, she has this, she, my wife can throw down in the kitchen. She can throw down some stuff in the kitchen, man, and her greens are mean. So... She throws down, and somehow the word goes out. Now, we're expecting 10 people to show up, and then all of a sudden, you know, those 10 people bring a person. So now all of a sudden, we end up with 20. And it kind of makes kind of an awkward situation because we're trying to figure out if we have enough food or not to serve everybody, for one. And then at the same, at the same time, we're trying to figure out who exactly is in our house. I don't know who this person is, so I have to... You know, and, and me, you know, you'll find out I'm very analytical and, and I begin to observe and examine this person or people and, we, and we're trying to figure who they are. So we're going to jump into this word really quick and it's, it's I kind of broke it down in the, in the parts. But Luke 7 says this, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have a dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. 
a woman in that town lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Okay, somebody got it. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. So to kind of give you a little bit of background on what's going on here, Simon invites Jesus to the table. And it wasn't just a normal invite. People may think that, you know, you just invite someone to dinner. No, this was, this was something a little bit different. He wanted to observe Jesus. See, the thing is, is that we, we read before chapter 7, and a little bit in chapter 7, we get to understand what's going on with Jesus. See, Jesus, you know, his ministry is gaining popularity. He's raising the dead. He's healing the sick. He's cleansing lepers. He's casting out demons. And so all of a sudden, you know, people begin to talk, you know, and, and you have even the disciples of John the Baptist. They, they receive a report directly from Jesus to take back. So you have these signs and miracles and wonders happening. And, and all of a sudden you have this rabbi who's just popular and everybody gets a whiff of what's going on, and there are eyes on Jesus all of a sudden. So not only they receive, there's a, the eyes on Jesus, but it catches the eye of one Pharisee in particular. It catches the eye of Simon. So Simon invites Jesus over for dinner. And see, as a Pharisee, you didn't just invite anyone to dinner. You just didn't invite anybody. You know why you didn't invite anybody? Because just beside eating at the table, there's discussion. There's discussion. <clears throat> Ideals are being shared. There's, there's debate that's there. There's philosophical discussion going on. How many people have philosophical discussions at their dinner table? You have that, that one loved one who begins to think that they're a theologian, philosopher. Okay, we got some. They can relate. But then you have those who are kind of outside the table, and they're just observing. They have free admission to all of this going on. And so, of course, those who are privileged at the table, uh, they get a closer look in being able to examine Jesus from close. And it satisfies their curiosity in their intellect. <clears throat> it's like having a science experiment. Anybody grew up with a science experiment? Thank you, Mom. You gave me one. But it's like having a science experiment. And you have a science experiment all for the fact of you want to know, you know how it works. You don't care what it is. It's how it works. And you begin to make observations and ask questions. And then you start formulating uh, a hypothesis, right? And, and you're trying to figure out what's going to happen if I do this. And, you know, I wonder if it's going to blow up or not. You know, am I going to blow this house up? Am I going to kill everyone around me? You know, I don't know. But you make this intellectual guess at the end. And also you analyze and you come up with a conclusion. 
So as we have gained experience, if you've been here long enough, you gain some experience about life. And I believe in our society, we have gotten accustomed to applying this type of methodology toward people. We apply this methodology toward people, and we think that we can analyze them, and, and we think that we can jump to conclusions. That's one of the downfalls to, to this social experiment. You can guess, you can, you can conclude something, jump into conclusions, and then all of a sudden only to find out that you were wrong. You may hit every once in a while. So Simon invites Jesus over. Jesus gets there and reclines at table. And we've come a long way in terms of reclining, haven't we? See, back in, back in the what, 80s and 90s, they used to have a lever, right? You just pull that thing. And then all of a sudden, we got sophisticated with a button. We just push a button. Okay, you push the button right now. You just push a button. And all of a sudden, you recline, and you can watch your favorite movie. You can watch your favorite type of TV show with your honey bun. You can, you can come to the theater at the Palladium and, and recline, listening to Pastor Ben preach that fiery message. And you're comfortable. So back in the day, it wasn't like that. It was quite different. What ended up happening, you had this one-foot table, and you had cushions all around. And you didn't just necessarily kick your feet up, but you kind of kicked your feet to the side and you laid on which side, whatever was comfortable for you. You kind of put your arm up, get some leverage from the table, and then your free arm would, would just, you know, take some grapes, maybe some bread, you know, and begin to feed yourself. So all of this stuff is happening. And then all of a sudden, the Bible in verse 37, Luke 7, 37, tells us, that all of a sudden, while people are eating, a woman in the town who lived a sinful life, she comes in, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And then the thing is, we don't know much about this woman. She's just, we just, we don't know too much. Now, this is what we do know about this woman. This woman lived in the area, okay? She lived in the area. And what we also know is, is that she was a sinful woman. Some translations would say, hey, you know what? She's a sinner. She's a sinner. And so what that tells us is that she, she was known for her sin. Jesus was known and popular for one thing, being righteous and performing miracles, signs, and wonders. But this woman was totally the opposite. This woman right here was known for her sin. We don't know what that sin was. Some people, some scholars even, say that she may have been a prostitute. We don't know. We don't know what that sin was. The only thing we do know is that she comes over, she hears about Jesus, she has this alabaster box, she comes in, past the crowd, past the people standing against the wall, and she begins to cry at the feet of Jesus. Not only does she cry at the feet of Jesus, but she stands behind Jesus crying and she, she washes his feet with her hair. I mean, can you picture this beautiful moment? 
And then she's not just washing the feet. She begins to, you know, she, she begins to kiss his feet. She begins to all of a sudden anoint his feet with this expensive oil. She's obsessing over Jesus. She's obsessing over him. The only thing she could think about was just getting to the feet of Jesus. In other words, she was infatuated with him. And so she doesn't try. And I want you to understand this. She was so obsessed with Jesus, she didn't even try to go to the table. I want you to notice that. She didn't try to go to the table. But what she did was she went to the feet of Jesus. She went to the feet of Jesus because she understood that it was at the feet of Jesus that she can give all of herself. See, this is the table that we all want to be at. She invited Jesus to the table of her heart. The table of our heart. See, that's important. That's where we want to be. We want to have Jesus invited to the table of our heart. We want him to be there because we, we are vessels ourselves. We are vessels of worship where the table of our heart all of a sudden becomes this, this altar of worship. See, the alabaster box was a vessel which contained some very valuable oil. And the box had some value in itself, but the most precious thing about that box was the oil. And the only way you were able to even get into the box, the only way you were able to get into the most precious, the most valuable part of that box was to have it broken. See, when we come before God as a willing vessel, we have to come prepared to be broken. We have to be prepared to be broken from the inside out. This is why it is called a sacrifice of praise. Because we are vessels. We are created for worship because we are vessels. And, we, and when we allow ourselves to be broken and we, we are allowing ourselves to be poured out as a drink offering to God. And when we are poured out onto the altar, there is this form of worship, and, and God receives it as a sweet-smelling Savior into his nostrils. That's why it's important to be broken when we come before God. So we have this beautiful moment, and, and Simon, the Pharisee, observes all of this. He observes all of this obsession, and so he has something to say about it. He begins to judge the whole entire situation after observing. And so he judges her. He judges Jesus. I am the righteous Pharisee. I, I go to church, right? I, I go to temple. I know the Bible front to back. And I know the Torah. Matter of fact, I am the Torah. I rememorize the Torah. I'm a commit to prayer. I'm always in the prayer line. How dare she come in here with her hair uncovered? So verse 39 says this, and this is Simon talking. 
If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. That she is a sinner. So word to the wise, Simon. Word to the wise. If you want to say something, don't say it at all. If you don't want to think something, you might not want to think about something around Jesus either. Because Jesus knows everything. Jesus knows your thoughts. Jesus knows your plans. Jesus knows your motives. He knows these motives. He knows your thoughts and actions before you even do them or think them. So you might not want to do that, Simon. You may not want to do that at all. And so while this woman is continuing to worship, Jesus has this, you know, he hears Simon's thoughts. And he has all of a sudden a bone to pick with Simon. It might be something a little bit hard to digest, giving him a little bit of food for thought. And Jesus says this in Luke 7, 40 and 43. Simon, I have something to tell you. This is Jesus talking. He said, tell me, teacher. Tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debt to both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the biggest debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. In other words, okay, you got that part, but you know what, Simon, I'm not done with you yet. There's some more I gotta, I gotta, I gotta speak it to you plainly. And sometimes when you have, you know, when I ha especially me, when I have my kids around the table, I mean, there are some people, I mean, some some of my kids I have to be direct with, right? Some kids I know that if I speak too directly to, and then all of a sudden they're they're just broken. But some I have to be extremely direct to them. So Jesus is being direct and saying this. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has forgiven little, loves little. So the parable is representing of Simon and the woman. And there, it's, not, it's the fact that it's not Simon, right, being righteous in this. It's actually Simon being, you know, having sin. So when he tells him this, he's trying to get Simon to look at his sin, to kind of look at his debt. And so when he, when it's not the fact that, you know, one has no sin, one has sin. It's more so if both of them have sin and both of them have a need of forgiveness of that sin. So when Jesus invites, when Simon invites Jesus over, he didn't, welcome Jesus. There are certain things that were supposed to happen. He did not give him the formal welcome. He says, man, you, 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 brought, you invited me to your house, but you didn't welcome me. Like, who does that? Who, who invites someone over the house, and you don't say hi to them, you don't, you don't wash my feet? 
I've been walking all day in donkey poo, and you didn't wash my feet. I've been walking the streets. You have not washed my feet. You didn't give me a kiss. During that time period, a kiss on the cheek. You did not anoint my head. You didn't do none of that. All these things <coughs> to express love and gratitude, Simon failed at. But the one thing that I love about Jesus is that with all the people around, he shows Simon the best part of the woman. He showed Simon the best part of the woman. Not only did he do that, but he showed him the side that Jesus sees. And that's the same thing that Jesus is trying to do to all of us. Jesus wants us to see the inside, the best of a person. There was a song by, an, um, by a famous gospel singer by the name of Marvin Sapp. And he says, you know, you saw the best of me. When everybody else around me could only see the worst in me. And so that's what Jesus is doing to Simon. And see, the greater the forgiveness, the greater the love. The more we are able to forgive or, you know, we are forgiven, the more we are able to love others. And then we can express that forgiveness. We can express that mercy and that love that God gives us, we can give that to other people. And so all of a sudden, you know, we, we, have, to, we have to really internalize it. We have to really get it because, because the thing is, we jump to conclusions so fast, don't we? We judge people. We judge people by the shoes on their feet. We judge people by how much money they have. We can look at their house. We can look at their money. And then all of a sudden, we don't even understand what's on their heart. And what I love about Jesus, even back in the Old Testament, when, Jesus, when, when, when David was anointed king before he was even anointed king, Jesus told the prophet, he's, I mean, God told the prophet, he said, you know what, I don't look at the outward, man looks at the outward appearance, but you know what, I look at the heart. And that should be our prayer. Our prayer should be, God, can you please just show me the heart of this person? God, I know they're in sin right now. You know what, but you know what, you know, I have a whole bunch of sin in my life. God, help me to love this person and see the great that is inside of them. After this moment, Jesus tells the woman in verse 48, your sins are forgiven. People all around watching this, and, and they're now confused by Jesus. They went from observing Jesus and seeing him do all these things. They saw how obsessed this woman was over Jesus, and and now they witness this sinful woman broken at, at Jesus' feet, wondering what's going on. And now they're confused about who he is now because only God can forgive sin. As righteous as the Pharisees were, even they couldn't forgive sin. So there was a lot of confusion that was going on. They don't know if Jesus is 
a, a man that just lost his mind. They didn't know if Jesus was a prophet. They didn't know if, you know, maybe if I use my analytics, maybe if I ask enough questions, maybe if, if I just, you know, read the data, just so maybe, I don't know, just maybe, maybe he is the son of God. Maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe he is the chosen one. But see, many people come to the, to the table. They come to get a meal. They come to the table with Jesus and they are left confused. They are left conf confused because they are trying to figure out how all these things work. They're trying to figure out. They're trying to analyze. They're trying to figure out who is this person that changes lives? Who is Honestly, it's, it's, to be honest with you, with all the analytics and scientific methodologies and everything, guess what? It's not that hard. It's not that hard. This woman was changed by Jesus by her faith. Just by her faith. Your faith has saved you, verse 50 says. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. James Jesus changed this woman because of her faith. Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It takes faith for repentance. It takes faith for repentance. It takes faith to believe that we have sins in our lives. It takes faith to believe that, you know what? I actually have some issues in my life. It takes faith for forgiveness. When our debt of sin is canceled and, and it takes faith to believe that Jesus has paid it all for us. It takes faith for salvation to believe that, you know what, In, I, because of my sin, I do deserve death. But Jesus died for me. He took my place. He died so that I would not have to spend my life in eternal hell. It takes faith for peaceful living. Isaiah 26 and 3 says it like this. He will keep him in perfect peace who mind is stayed on him. Because he trusts in God. When we come to the feet of Jesus and our eyes are fixated on God, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. It doesn't matter if, you know, who's watching. It doesn't matter who's observing. It doesn't matter. When I'm at the feet of Jesus, I create this moment of worship where nothing else even matters. It doesn't matter. The only thing that is on my mind is I'm obsessed like this woman is being in the presence of my Lord, my Savior, and my King. I have a question for you. Are you merely observing Jesus today? Are you just there just to have a meal? Or are you obsessed with Jesus? Matter of fact, let me ask you even more of a question. Because I had the same question presented to me. 
when I came to Jesus. When was the last time you spent time with God? When was the last time you spent time at Jesus' feet? I understand, you know, you, you got the table, but when was the last time you invited Jesus at the table of your heart and allow him to break you? See, the thing about this woman, what made her so special was the fact that she created this altar just between her and God. And she didn't, she wasn't saved just because she performed all of these different acts. All of that was based and it was expressed because of her love for Jesus. A.W. Towers puts it this way. He says, perhaps the most serious charge that can be brought against modern Christians is that we are not sufficiently in love with Christ. The Christ of fundamentalism is strong but hardly beautiful. It is rarely that we find anyone aglow with personal love for Christ. In other words, aside from everything else, it's our love for Jesus. It's, it's recognizing the things that are inside of us and him paying the, paying the debt for us that brings forth this love. It's more important to be at the feet of Jesus and spending time with him rather than anything else in your entire life. You have to make that a priority. If that is you today, I just wonder, what's on your heart? If you feel like, you know, maybe, you know, because of my love, well, let's back it up. Maybe you feel like, you know what, I'm like Simon. And I'm recognizing that I have all this sin and and you know what? I just want to be at the feet of Jesus. I recognize my sin now. And I just want to be at his feet. I want to tell him what's on my mind. I want to tell him what's on my heart. If that's you, I just want to pray for you really quick. And if that, and, and if you may uh, be observing Jesus, maybe you're observing some things about Jesus Maybe the way that he loves, the way that he cares for people. Maybe you never heard of him. Maybe you want to be like this woman and you just, you know, all I want to do is just lay out before him. I can tell you right now that he is inviting you to the table. He is inviting, he is opening the door right now for you. So let us pray. God, we just come before you. Lord, I don't know what's on people's hearts, really. I really don't know. But my prayer right now, Lord, for those who may be on one side feeling like Simon, and for those, Lord, who just maybe heard about Jesus like the woman and just want to fall on his feet, I pray for them right now, Lord. I pray, God, that right now, Jesus, that you will 
just make yourself available to their heart. I pray, God, that they will see you clearly. I pray that, Lord, that you will just meet them where they are, Jesus. And I pray, God, that, Lord, as you extend your grace and your mercy to them right now, my prayer is that, Lord, that they will feel, Lord God, that your forgiveness, that, Lord, that they will feel your salvation and ultimately, Lord, feel your peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding. May it continue to guard their hearts as well as their minds through Christ Jesus. We bless you today and we honor you. In Jesus' holy and precious name.